What are you waiting for? Welcome to This Is Not A Dress Rehearsal Podcast. Stop holding your breath, waiting for perfect conditions before you move through the world. Tune in for real stories of real people who understand the freedom to live well. Your host, Bonnie Sewell, is a veteran wealth manager with 12 grandchildren, helping clients over the last 30 years enjoy their wealth. You can listen to all podcasts at www.americancapitalplanning.com slash podcast or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome. My name is Jesse Hughes. Today, I want to introduce the inaugural season of the podcast, This Is Not a Dress Rehearsal. Today, I will be interviewing our host, Bonnie Sewell, to learn about why she created the podcast and why she thinks life is not a dress rehearsal. But first, a little bit about me. I came to American Capital Planning with eight years of management experience helping senior citizens navigate and map out their retirement. I received a Bachelor's of Science in Business Management degree from Clemson University, Go Tigers, and a Master's in Healthcare Administration degree from the University of North Carolina, Charlotte. I live in Williamsburg, Virginia with my husband, Sean, and our two young sons, Colby and Bennett. At the firm, my role is to help with the many day-to-day duties of running a compliant, fee-only financial services firm with a high service level while using the best technology there is. I am passionate about helping our clients achieve their goals through personal finance in order to secure their future. Hi, Bonnie. How are you? Good, Jesse. Nice to speak with you. Great. Let's talk a little bit about your background and who our listeners can expect to meet on the podcast. Working in wealth management is pretty rewarding because we help people build, protect, and grow their money. You also have expertise in exits, leaving paid work, selling a business, and specifically leaving a spouse. Why is helping people get through the financial aspects of their divorce important to you? I think because as a child, we were short on funds most of the time as my parents divorced. My dad took his pension and his paycheck, and he left four of us behind. So my brother, my sister, my mom, and me, we survived. My mom went to work. We all went to work as soon as we could. We were living in a wealthy community outside Chicago, but we were broke, and I hated being broke. Later, when I married, my husband at the time started getting more complex pay packages And I wanted to understand things like stock options and how people become wealthy. What I know from personal experience and 30 plus years of doing this work is that by modeling what Dick and Jane are thinking about when they are dividing what they own, what they earn, and what they owe, we can show them both how to make it work. Everyone gets bumped around by life eventually. What are some of the bumps that came your way early in life? Plenty. Uh, Like most lives, I assume. I was a severe asthmatic till age 12. That turned out to be a simple allergy, but it took them years to figure it out. So I was sleeping on silk pillowcases that had been handed down through my mother's family. And I was playing with a Shirley Temple doll that had silk clothes. So I was inundated with silk and that was the allergy. It took a very long time (laughs) to figure that out. Once we took the silk away, I got well. And then in the fourth grade, my teacher told my mom that I was stupid and to hold me back. She used actually a harsher word that was in common use at the time. But my mom said no. So I I kept going through school uh, as I was. 
later in high school, I got mononucleosis so severely that I was hospitalized uh, for a week. My dad left when I was nine. My parents divorced when I was 13. And in high school, the counselor told me that I was not college material. And then as I was registering for college, because I did go on work study, I, I managed to overcome that indelicate comment, which was made more than once. But I got shingles at 17 as I was registering for college. So my face looked a little bit like I had leprosy. And then just as I was getting into my early 20s, my appendix burst. So it's a, a little bit of a story about that. But I think another defining piece where I often felt the ground shifting beneath me was the loss of loved ones, as anyone you know who grows older has happened to them. I grew up in a town where my grandpa would pull up beside me as I'm walking home from grade school, and he'd say, you want to go to Grant's for a milkshake? And I would jump in the car, and we would enjoy that as an afternoon. And then I watched parades from my grandma's window as she lived over the dry cleaner. It was very much small town life, and I loved it. We saw extended family often. But all that changed when my dad left, and I had one grandparent still alive by the time I reached high school. Then my mom had a major stroke when I was 30, and she was only 57. It eventually killed her, and my dad died when I was 43. But a death that had a profound effect on me, as if those didn't, but was my nephew Josh, my nephew by marriage. Josh has an interesting story that I, I think is worth sharing, simply because it's a wonder to me still after all this time. My children were probably preteen or just coming into their teens. And we got a phone call from not the mother of Josh, but uh, another sister-in-law telling us that Josh had been killed. And uh, of course, it knocks the wind out of you no matter what. He'd only been 21 years old for five weeks at that time. He'd returned from service in Bosnia. He was in Fort Hood and he took a turn too wide on his motorcycle and was killed instantly by a car. The frustrating thing, in addition to losing Josh, obviously, was that my children were close to him. Josh and I competed on knee boards uh, in a lake. Uh, so that was, Josh was extremely athletic and fun. And that was uh, something I remember. And my children have fond memories of hanging out with Josh. But Josh's beginnings, he was adopted by my sister-in-law, who was married at the time. And together, they were preparing to adopt him. Then my sister-in-law's husband was killed in a car accident on the way home from work one day. And at that time, women were not, could not easily adopt someone without a husband. She was an accountant by trade. She was a very smart, loving woman. And she had a heck of a time getting through that process, but she did. So she ended up adopting Josh. And later she would marry a childhood friend. And uh, together they would raise Josh and two loving parents. And Josh had a very, very good life. So it's a wonder to me what the universe had in mind when they brought Josh to us and took him. But that was a tough one. Yeah. To balance that, what are some good things that have happened? Well, there's so much, really. There really is. And I, I think that in every dark place, there's light eventually. So you just look for it. I, I won the mom lottery for sure. She stayed when my dad didn't. And she raised us and kept us in our home when it was hard. I took up swimming to clear up some of the damage from that asthma, and I got good, and I became very athletic. So this was pre-Title IX, and for listeners who don't know what that means, it meant that there weren't competitive sports in the same way that boys had them. And so I didn't get to participate in sports in the way that I would have loved to had I been just a little later on the timeline, but I loved being athletic. My mom 
had an extreme work ethic and I began to work very early, which was a real remedy to, to how I felt about school and how school felt about me. In college, I began to take more risks and I went skydiving twice. I spent a summer in the Sierra Nevada as a backpacking counselor in a camp for campfire girls where we would spend two weeks out of camp at a time and go up into the wilderness, no tents. We made our own clean water in the 70s. At that time, you could drink off the rocks in the Yuba River. It was an extraordinary summer and I was so lucky to participate. And even when my appendix burst, I had an Indian physician who happened to be the head of surgery at that time who saved my life. And in fact, there were so many good things that happened along the way. I I just began to feel lucky in life. So can you share with us why after 28 years with your ex-husband, 25 of those married, why did you ask for a divorce? It was a, a very hard decision as it often is. It was pretty much a dead marriage in terms of how we interacted with each other. Promises had not been kept. I came across some stuff on a computer that made it clear my my marriage was over. It had been baking for a while, and we had mentioned it to each other over the years, but another move would come, promises would be made, and then broken, and, and the cycle just kept repeating itself. And our sons had gone off to college and we were faced with, you know, what is a pretty well-known yawning cliff in a marriage called empty nesters. You know, you wake up and the only two people in the house are you and you don't have that buffer anymore of the children. How did you manage to build such a profitable business while also being the parent in charge of getting the kids to school, practice, et cetera, and managing pets and a household and everything that that entails? Well, I think that part of my story is a common one. I think every woman will tell you, you know, I have no idea how I did it. She has no idea. I think you develop a rhythm and you just keep your head down and it all gets done. But resentment can build and it it did for me. I was living in a paradox. Here I was wealthier with money than I'd ever dreamed of being. And I was stuck in an impoverished marriage. So I started to literally eat my way out of each day as a coping mechanism, and I swung between wanting to make a difference in the world in my career and being miserable inside my house, uh, uh, you know, inside a picture postcard life. My husband at the time had a 15-minute drive to his job, and of course, every time we landed in a new city, he had a job and contacts and people that he'd see every day that were glad to see him, and we kept starting over, me and the children. And my office was 55 miles away. And later, when we moved to Chattanooga from Rome, Georgia, I kept the Georgia office because that was over in Kennesaw. And then I added a new one in Tennessee, and I drove the 81 miles between them far too often. So I managed to keep the businesses going, but or the business going between two offices, but a lot of resentment was building. Was there something specific that made you pull the trigger? Yes, uh, there was my friend Karen I had known since kindergarten, and she is just a, the dearest person, and she's a, a loving mom of two daughters at this time in our lives and married to someone she's crazy about, someone we went to high school with, and she's been working for the same firm as a paralegal for 25 years. She's a good tennis player just a beautiful woman. So the person that she always reminds me of is the actress Jacqueline Smith, who was on Charlie's Angels, if you know it. Karen has a bubbly laugh, which I can still pull up in my mind's eye if I want to be with her for a moment in my head. She's just a really dear person, but she started having some symptoms. And uh, there was a problem with her leg, and then her foot started to drop a little bit, and sort of one thing led to another. And it took 18 months for her to get a proper diagnosis, which was ALS, or Lou Gehrig's disease. And we were not yet 50 years of age. And 
there was a group of five of us that hung out together a lot and kind of inconceivable that any one of us could be sick. And what, as we learned more about this, we knew what the end would be. And there was 18 more months with Karen. And, you know, in that time period, as I'm divorcing, or well, actually, I hadn't started to divorce yet, but it occurred to me that, you know, maybe I don't have an infinite timeline, maybe I don't have the luxury of living even longer than Karen will. And it just woke me up to making some changes in my life that were overdue to be made. People often comment that you survived divorce very well. Was there a time when you weren't feeling that? There was a lot of times when I wasn't feeling that. It's hard to talk about, as anyone would say, because when you go back to that time period when you made the decision, it's pretty gut-wrenching, I think, for most people. It feels like a failure. I spent three days in the fetal position in my bathroom while he was on an extended business trip trying to think through, because I started therapy at this time, first time in my life. It was extremely helpful. Think through what life would be like if I really did this. Then there was a time I was coming back from my Georgia office to my Tennessee one, and I just started out of the blue, like I just started crying extremely hard. I couldn't keep driving. So I pulled off the road and I called my brother and he was so, he couldn't understand me because I was fairly hysterical with tears. And he said, you know, are you dying? What's going on? And I said, no, it's the divorce and blah, blah, blah. And I, you know, I mean, I think those moments are crushing when they happen, and there's almost no way that they don't happen in this process. And then I think the hardest thing is disappointing my sons and my niece that I couldn't make this work. And I made mistakes, right? I know better. This is my daily work. I know what you're not supposed to do in divorce. And I, I made those same mistakes with them. And that was that was heart-wrenching. And then a few friends I lost out of the process, which I think is pretty common. When you realize that you pull certain people into your life that shouldn't be there, including a husband, right? So I'm responsible for that part. And I'm responsible for changing it. It also means you take a look at some of the people in your life, and they, they don't fit anymore. It probably hasn't fit for them a long time. So there was a, a lot of times that were not what probably looks like a very pretty picture today. I'm happily remarried and have a beautiful blended family and I'm healthy. So this is pretty good. But there have been very many dark days, including dark months during that time. While you were going through that, you started your own business. Did it cost a lot to get the money? Can you talk us through that? So there have been more than one business. You know, where did the money come from? The first business I started was a tax practice before we even got to the southern part of the country. So I'd been a tax preparer for many years, and I had a tax practice. When I closed that down, I started working for other planners because I was starting to get into the wealth management business. But at some point, you know, I wanted to start my own business. So that money, I, I bootstrapped each company. So that money was started in 2001 and the money came from my own pocket. However, we didn't separate our money. And so I had the cover of my husband's salary to put food on the table and pay for our houses. So I was grateful for that. But the first time when I said I wanted to start a business, he said, you know, a little less supportive than I would have liked, uh, just get a job. But the problem with getting a job that was starting to accumulate is we kept moving all the time. So I was always new. The children were always new. And we kept moving with small kids and pets and a couple of houses. And he was absent due to long hours because that's how it works when you have one person who's flying in their career and the other person's trying to get theirs going. One person is gone a lot working. 
And we had no family around. So you get the picture. It's actually a working woman's common picture, unfortunately. And he wouldn't give me the money to start my business. He didn't take it seriously. And I lacked the confidence to insist on it. So that's my issue at the time. And by this time, our household financial status had kind of catapulted to this place I'd only ever dreamed of. You know, we had two homes. My sons were day students at an expensive boarding school. We even belonged to a country club. And comparing that to the house that built me, that home was a loving but small and tidy brick home, perfectly adequate, more than adequate, that my wonderful mom was always trying to hang on to so that we could stay in the same schools that my parents and grandparents attended. So uh, back to the school that my sons were attending, this expensive private school, they had a reverse raffle at one of their events, and the grand prize was $5,000. So I bought a ticket for $100, and I can tell you that at that time I bought the ticket, I had a feeling I would win. It was bizarre. Anyway, get to the event. There's a little bit more to the story that I I won't include here because it's just too much gory detail, but it was a wonderful experience. And I did win. I won the $5,000 and that ticket funded my first registered investment advisory firm. That ticket is framed in my office that I have today. And that's what I used to get a computer, a phone and open my first registered investment advisory firm. And that one was opened in 2001. I merged it with a company that I went to Miami to buy. So after my divorce, I merged that for existing firm with the firm in Miami. I was supposed to buy that firm. It didn't work out. I had to restart again. And in 2009, I came up to Virginia because I met my now husband, Murray, on eHarmony. So I, I'm a fan of online dating. And that firm exists today. That's the one we have today. You talk about being lucky in life. Can you give us an example? Well, I have a lifetime of examples. I mean, I I clearly did win the the mom lottery. That Indian physician who came in late in the day, so I was living with my soon-to-be spouse at that time. We were not yet married. I was on birth control, and they kept insisting on a pregnancy test. In In fact, they insisted on five. And they waited so long to tend to me because of the times it was, uh, 80s, and um, my appendix burst. And so that Indian physician saved my life. So I consider that extremely lucky. But the one I always think about, it actually happened later. And as a kid, I was born with a congenital defect in both ankles. And so my, my leg bone comes in at a very strange ang- angle on the ankle. And my parents were told when I was a small kid, you know, we can uh, break her legs and reset them and she'll be uh, good as new. And thankfully, my parents passed on that. And I, I grew up very athletic with those legs after I got past the, the asthma. And they served me extremely well with, I mean, they looked bow-legged, they looked funny, but they worked fine and uh, carried me through up to my early 40s when, because I was quite thin when I was little. But as I grew older and gained weight and gravity took its toll, I got end-stage arthritis. The ankles just weren't working to the point where in my early 40s, I had to start to curtail my activities, which is ridiculous. You know, I mean, it's very young. Anyway, I searched for 12 years to get a solution. Insurance didn't cover ankle replacements at that time, and ankle replacements were extremely new in those 12 years. And in 2011... I met a wonderful surgeon who, that's all he did all day, and Paul Cooper at Georgetown, if you're looking for a good ankle surgeon, he changed out my right ankle with a starring ankle. All the parts around that ankle are as old as I am, but I had a new ankle. 
And so it was fabulous and insurance paid for it. So I was extremely lucky because that allowed me to walk five more years without the other ankle being changed. And then in 2016, that ankle failed completely. And I had to have that one changed out again with the star ankle, again with uh, Dr. Paul Cooper. So I've had to learn to walk three times from that surgery. And that's an experience all in itself if you have to learn to walk again with uh, some severe pain. But i not complaining. It just changed my life completely. I can't run or jump, but I can do just about anything else. And they are a real gift. And then I had on the one that was changed out in 2011, I had a repair on it in the year 2017. So uh, you can get bone cysts apparently when you have your ankles changed out. And uh, I got those. And so I had to learn one more time, 12 weeks, no driving, that whole thing. But here I am. So I think of myself as just exceptionally lucky in pretty much every way. Even today, I mean, it took me therapy probably And my mom tried to teach this, but I'm not sure I took it in. When I was in therapy, I began to understand very well how much of a gift trouble was. So that's how I see most things today. And life is probably not done bumping me around yet. (laughs) Tell us what people will learn when listening to the podcast. Well, I think that, you know, our daily work consists of two things. One, we help people build, protect, and grow their wealth. And two, we help them understand how to manage well-known but really poorly understood exits in a life. Like, how do I leave paid work to retire or take a break? How do I leave my spouse and still have money to live on, whether it's through a divorce or someone passing? How do I sell this business that I think of as my baby and get the most money for it? So these exits in life are predictable and normal, but poorly understood. So our podcast guests have been bumped around in life in these ways and some other ways that they'll learn about, but they're all still standing. And most of our guests are not well known outside their immediate circles. So while we can point to famous examples of people thriving in life, I wanted to put a clear lens on regular people who are thriving in life in spite of the speed bumps that they've been through. And so what I hope listeners take away from the podcast is that they too can choose to get off the sidelines of their lives and do the most with what's presented because this is not a dress rehearsal. Bonnie, thank you for sharing with us today. We look forward to our first season coming at you October 1st. If you'd like to learn about Bonnie, more about Bonnie and the firm American Capital Planning, visit us at AmericanCapitalPlanning.com. This podcast and any related material is provided for general information and entertainment purposes only and do not constitute accounting, legal, tax, investment, or other professional advice. For professional advice in any realm, contact the appropriate professional. We assume no representation or warranty, express or implied, for accuracy or completeness of content. We assume no responsibility for information contained in the podcast and disclaim all liability in respect of such information, but not limited to any liability for errors, inaccuracies, omissions, or misleading or defamatory statements. Links to external websites are provided solely for your convenience. We accept no responsibility for any linked sites or their contents. Use of this podcast and its content constitutes an explicit understanding and acceptance of the terms of this disclaimer.